Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. My name is Emma Doyle, and I have the pleasure today of interviewing Callum Walsh, who is the resident director at Western Colorado University. Now, we met through the ICF Colorado chapter a couple of years ago. We've sort of kept in contact. I've always found our conversations engaging, but he has got a lot of history and background and experience in the classroom at being a teacher of 21 years. And he really does have a passion for leadership, program development, conflict management. I can't wait to take a deeper dive into that. And all the things, um, I don't speak Spanish, but he does <laughs> fluently, <laughs> loves his uh swimming, cycling, paddleboarding, and all the things that Gunnison, Colorado has to offer. Callum, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Emma. First question, it is a bit of a curveball. It is yeah. Vegemite. It's the Australian spread of Vegemite. You either love it or you strongly dislike it or you haven't tried it. I have tried it and I really don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, thank you for giving it a go as an Aussie lover of Vegemite, as my listeners know. So because you answered that way, could you start with a coaching moment that didn't go well and what might be a lesson? I was actually a coach trainer at the time and I was doing a demo a coaching session and my uh, participant, the, the person in the course, was not being coachable and was resisting the coaching, wasn't answering the questions. And I just kept going. And she ended up getting really upset that I didn't get her world, that I didn't realize that it just wasn't, you know, the right time. And she she emailed my boss and my boss had a conversation with me and it was it was it was really unpleasant. But I I realized even though we say as ICF certified coaches that the client is the expert and we are there to be curious about them, ask questions and let them steer the ship, um, we are human beings and sometimes we have uh we get an agenda in our heads. Like I I was gonna get that coaching demo done. And of course, it just completely went south. And then the other, I think there were four other participants watching were also very confused. Like, wait a minute, uh, that felt really uncomfortable. You know, the lesson learned is that uh, it really is the client's session. You know, whether it's, uh, they're, whether they're in a coach training program or they're actually a paying client, you know, they they are in the driver's seat. And we're there to go where they want to go. And if they don't want to keep going, then we just say, look, maybe this isn't the best time to, to have this conversation. You know, where should we go from here? So Very insightful. That also reminds me of the importance of asking for permission. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Uh, what about on the flip side? Can you think of an experience that went really well and what might be a lesson? Oh, man, I'm going to sound arrogant, but there's so many, Emma. I don't know which one to choose. I'll describe 
sort of a particular technique. I, I think it's called just trusting the client as expert. It's sort of the antithesis of what I just described, that mistake I made. Before I started working at Western, I had my own academic life coaching business, and I would coach sixth graders up through graduate school students who were struggling with lack of motivation for study habits, disorganization, uh, things like that. And um, so one could think that I could come to every coaching session with a program like, okay, now we're going to, we're going to assess your motivation. Now we're going to look at your systems now, but I really worked hard not to do that and to let the 12 year old or the 13 year old be the expert. And, you know, time and time again, I think, I think the victory was that, you know, as coaches, we, we have that little voice that comes up when the, uh, the coach, or excuse me, the client is talking. And we have that thought like, ooh, I want to lead them somewhere. Or I have this insight, I really want to share it. Or I think this is what the problem is. And we have to just let that float by. And time and time again, when I did that, it was just the magic worked that, that the client you know, the student would come up with his or her own solution, uh, you know, from a simple question of, okay, well, what do you think about that? You know, because they would just talk and talk and talk and talk and say, oh, I said, okay, well, what do you think about that? Well, I think I need to, you know, when I come home, instead of getting on social media, I need to just um, plug my phone in, turn it off, have a snack and go start my homework. And then I got to point out, well, can I share Can I sh uh, share an observation? Oh, sure. Well, you know, you just came up with that. Do you know that I didn't tell you what to do? And that was a really important paradigm to shift in my line of work as an academic life coach because the default expectation of, uh, you know, a middle schooler or a high schooler who goes to see an adult for an academic problem is that that adult is going to assess the issue for them and then tell them what to do about it and i say right from the beginning look i'm not going to do that you know i think you have the answers to your problems maybe you haven't said them out loud maybe you haven't thought of them yet but i trust you as the expert on you and i'm not yet another practitioner who thinks i know you better than you know you and that i know your problem better than you know your problem so so that was just that was so rewarding because then uh, I could write the summary to the parents with the student CC'd and we always created the email together. Like I, you know, what aren't we sharing with your parents? What do we have to share with your parents? And it was so rewarding to write that and say, and then she said this, you know, I have to come home and turn my phone off and start my homework after I have a snack. And in that moment, I knew that I, I did my job not only as an ICF certified coach, but I fulfilled my promise to the parents and to the student that, look, I trust you. And I would always include a section in the email summary, ways that your parents can support you. Um, and sometimes it was coaching questions. Sometimes it was following up on something. Sometimes um, it was a link to um, a blog or a website, but I would always 
not every time, but the first few sessions say, don't change the action. Don't suggest that they do it at a different time, that they do it for a different amount of time. Let them execute the action that they came up with because they have to figure out that it works or it doesn't work or they could tweak it. Like they have to exercise that muscle. They, they have to stop relying on you to solve every problem for them. So that was kind of a long answer to the. No, it was a great story. And thank you for sharing already. There's some great tips for parents there. And the one thing that resonated with me uh, is around when the child takes ownership over the solution, well, I said the word right there, ownership becomes part of the motivating factor because it's not, Callum didn't tell me to do it. Actually, I said that I was going to do it. So that brings in that whole piece around accountability, which I have so many conversations with parents about how can I, you help my child be more accountable. I'm like, uh, uh-uh. that, that's a, that, that is a great way. So thank you for sharing that. Our next question is called the sliding doors question. Way before I got here to Western um, in, I don't know, there was this national trend. This was when I was still a, you know, a public school teacher. And in about 2011, 2012, there was this national trend to, um, assess more often students in the classroom and also completely change the way that they were evaluating teachers. And it included the uh, accumulation of a lot more data, differentiated instruction. I mean, just a lot more um, emphasis and work for teachers on collecting data. It was in the kind of the very middle of that period in the United States when that was happening. And I was uh, I was in Costa Rica during the summer uh, learning how to surf. And I spent the whole summer there, like nine weeks, and I was having the time of my life. And my landlord uh, of the apartment where, that I was renting realized that I was really good with Spanish. And, and she said, look, do you want a job here? And I said, well, what is it? And she took me to this hotel that they owned that was about 200 steps from the water. And she said, we need someone to bilingualize our digital presence and also work at reception and um, maybe manage some of our online booking accounts. And it would be almost full time, but here's what we would pay you and you would have your own private room and you would have your own private kitchen and you could surf every day. And so that was the pull factor uh, for me to retire. And the push factor was that teaching just was not as creative and fun as it used to be. And my the time that I used to spend creating lesson plans and you know, talking to parents, meeting with students and doing all of these things that they weren't evaluating us on as teachers. So that, that, that was the pull factor. And I said, okay. And it was, and she said, this is for a year. My landlord said, you would come right before Christmas and you would stay through high season of the following year. So, I returned to Denver. I informed my principal that I was resigning and I shortly thereafter got on a plane to Costa Rica and I um, had one of the most fun and uh, most memorable 
I think years, it was a year and a half. It was there for 18 months of my life. Wow. Uh, and eventually that, that led to, uh, when I came back to the States in April of 2016, I decided I wasn't going back into the classroom, but that I was going to start my own academic life coaching business. And so I did that for six years. And then I got divorced and I needed a better job. So, you know, here I am at um, not a better job, but a higher paying job with benefits and all that. And here I am at Western Colorado University. So mm. thank you for sharing that in one to a maximum of three words. What do you think makes a great coach? Yeah, it's trusting the client. I mean, it just back to that story I told about trusting these adolescents to identify their own problems and come up with some kind of a solution and action to take, whether that failed or not, that it wasn't the point that it was necessarily going to be successful. It was that you are exercising the muscle of trusting yourself. Because I would tell them the very first day, I trust you. And, and, and I think that you're gonna learn how to trust yourself as someone who can identify the problem and can come up with something to do about it and then test it out. And if you fall flat on your face, great, let's let's talk about that. Um, and if you succeed, even better. But you know, either way, I trust you and I think that you're gonna learn to trust yourself. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I love also off air, you mentioned that one of your favorite things about your new role is the trust that goes the other way. So it's not just trusting our clients, but the person that your direct report, correct me if I'm wrong, you said one of the things that you love about this person is the fact that th they trust you to get the work yeah. done. Both of them, my supervisor and then the director of all of Residence Life. Yeah, they both they both trust us implicitly, the, the resident directors. Fantastic. Our next question is where we ask you to ask us a question. What's that one question that really sparks your curiosity? What do you sort of always want to know more about? Wow, that is a great question. I never even thought about that. I don't know why what's coming to mind is marketing oneself as a coach or as an entrepreneur. I guess I'll ask you. This question comes from a, a mistake that I think I made as an academic life coach. I, it was it was my company. I was in, it was just me, and I did the marketing myself. And I struggled and I didn't trust anybody else to do the marketing for me, which I think was a mistake. But my question to you is like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you completely trust the person whom you've hired to do your marketing. I'm, I'm assuming you don't do your own marketing. Correct. Okay. So, so to what degree do you trust that person to really represent who you are and what you provide to the public. Yeah, I'm I'm a 10. <laughs> and let me tell you a quick backstory on that. I uh one of my mentors, he has he calls it the five B's. I forget what they all, all stand for, but you know, one of them's borrow, one is buy, one is barter, one and the, the two others I forget. So I love that concept of okay, marketing is definitely not 
what I'm good at. I want to be in the trenches. I want to be coaching people. I want to be running workshops, doing speaking engagements. And he goes, okay, well, you know, what budget do you have? Okay. If you don't have a, a great budget, he's like, start with bartering. Okay. You, you offer a executive coaching session in exchange for one hour of marketing, like to think outside the square of attracting those people in your life that that's what they do when you're living, breathing marketing, which I am not, and certainly not interested in. And at the moment I'm looking for a social media person personally. So, which is part of marketing. I've just haven't gone there yet because again, what have I tried to do? Do it on my own. And what is the one part of my business that I really do not enjoy? I'd much prefer to be interviewing you and even editing. I enjoy editing my podcast because I get to listen to you again and the message then sometimes I sink in or I hear it a different way. So I love that question. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, around that as it relates to trust? I think that, you know, being independent, you know, relatively independent, just an independent person who believes that, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to. I think that's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you're going to achieve a lot. And, but in my case, it was that this, this mindset or this, this thought, this narrative, I can't, no one's really going to market me better than I can market myself because no one knows me as well as I know my, but it was just, it was just a mistake. I mean, I could have, um, you know, there was a client that I wrapped up with and then he went into digital marketing and he was relatively uh, young and just starting out. And I could have said to him, hey, how about, you know, if you liked it and you'd like to stay on with me as a client, how about we trade? You know, let's go five more sessions for this much social media exposure and let's because then he would have interviewed me. He would have gotten to know me and he already knew me as a coach, you know, relatively speaking. So I think that that sort of lone wolf syndrome is something to really watch out for when we are solopreneurs that, you know, look, it's, it, it does pay. It, it, it's a good return on the investment to get somebody to just do that because they can do it better than you. And then, You'll make that money back. And ironically, you'll get your time. You'll get time back Correct. for you to use it yes. in, a, in a different way. All right. I'm really curious. I have to ask, what are the challenges of teenagers and university students, their biggest challenges? Are they similar? Are they different? What are you experiencing? Okay. When I was an academic life coach, before I started working at Western and coaching students at Western, one of the biggest challenges for teenagers was having meaningful, satisfying relationships, not just with their peers, but with the adults in their lives. Um, I coached students who were being bullied. Uh, I um, coached students during, you know, during COVID, they were forced to isolate, you know, so there were, I was coaching, I coached a student who was addicted to porn. I coached a student who was addicted to video games. So they, they had to be indoors and it just made it even harder for them to 
um, you know, even without COVID, I think it's challenging for a lot of teenagers to develop meaningful friendships. And COVID just made it just next to impossible. I mean, they could do it online. They could do it with a, you know, a, uh, a group video game. That was one part. And then even after COVID, even after COVID opened up, you know, I, I coached a girl who she basically missed her mother. You know, that she just wasn't getting enough FaceTime with her mother. The other thing I think that teenagers really struggle with, and I think a lot of adults too, um, if if we don't get particular, you know, personal development training, I think they really struggle with these negative narratives about themselves that they, you know, you know as well as I do that the mind will just make up things about ourselves that are not true. You know, we wake up in the morning and all of a sudden we're in a really negative conversation with ourselves about ourselves. <laughs> and it's not what we ate the night before or, you know, whether or not we got enough sleep. It's just, that's what the mind does. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I really emphasized with certain clients was, you know, how true is that about you? Let's look at that opinion you have of yourself and let's let's look at, you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being it's totally 100% accurate. How true is it? Most of the time they say, well, you know, it's, it's really not true. So that's for teenagers. The coaching that I do here at Western is, you know, sometimes I coach my RAs that these are the resident advisors that live on each floor and they have a job, but they're undergraduates as well. They, I coach them occasionally. The students I coach at Western are usually on the six-week progress report, meaning they got a DNF or an unsatisfactory. So I call them up and I say, hey, do you know what this is? And academic life coaching, they say no. And I describe it to them. I say, come check it out. And they do. And then they can either continue or not. I think it is knowing what kind of a learner and thinker they are. I've had several students in my office who had no idea what kinesthetic auditory or visual learning was. Their perception of how to study was that I just have to read the stuff. Uh, they didn't know about what, why, and how thinking and that, you know, all academic content comes at us at one or more of those three uh, wavelengths. It's either it's either facts or information, it's reasons that things happen, or it's processes and steps and how to do things, or it's some kind of combination. So if you can be in class and you can you can uh, code, take notes, and then go back and send code your notes and and read test questions that way or assignment questions that way, then I think it'll be a lot easier. So and then there were and then along with that there were students that just didn't know what environment, what study environment was good for them if they needed complete silence. You know, there were so many students who thought they had to study in their rooms. There was a desk and a hutch and that was what it's for. Well, and the residence halls are noisy. I, I said, look, I sincerely doubt that for most of the residents here that that is an adequate place to concentrate. So at least go down, try going down to your lounge or, you know, there's the library, there's, um, we have like a grill where there's seating, maybe you need some ambient noise. And so I think 
I think it's that. And I, and I, um, I would say not to like blame K through 12 education because those teachers are working their butts off. But I think um, one of the things sometimes that gets missed is, okay, what kind of a learner are you? What kind of a thinker are you? And how should you be studying? Um, and then relationships with professors, you know, they're, they were surprised to hear that, look, those office hours exist for you. The teachers, the professors don't expect you to get 100% of the content from one class period. That's why they let you email them. That's why they have office hours so you can ask questions. So many students think they should walk in, understand every single thing that's said in class and be able to spit that out on the assessment that's coming up. And say, no, that's, that's like the professors do not have that in mind at all. So I don't know, I could keep going, but but um, I think uh, those are the primary issues that I've seen with college students. Yeah, fantastic. So it sounds like sometimes you do need to take your coaching hat off and put a mentoring hat on or a suggestive hat on to educate. There's an education piece as well to what, what you're doing. That's that true. Correct? I'm glad you said that because, yeah, when I got to Western, um, I realized that it wasn't always going to work to do the sort of pure trust the client coaching thing. I mean, there were times and places for that, but the first session or two was, you know, what do you want to work on? And they didn't have any idea. And, and I said, well, how about I give you some options? Sure. Okay. We could look at the kind of learner you are. We could look at the kind of thinker you are. We could look at the best study environment for you. And they didn't know what I was talking about, but they were, it was refreshing to them. Well, okay. What do you mean? What kind of thinker I am? All right. Well, let's try this thing. Um, so yeah, that you're, you're absolutely right. There were times when I was more, uh, even in just one coaching session, I would be more of an academic advisor um, or, yeah, more of a mentor than, okay, you know, what do you think about this? You know, what, so it is, it's not, um, I like to be able to toggle back and forth between, all right, this is the coaching hat. This is where, okay, great. Like we've determined what kind of a learner you are. Now, what are you going to do about it? Now what? I'm not going to tell you what to do. Now that you know this, what's an action you can take, you know? What do you think of the word couture? One of my little inventions. Coach it's a coach. Yeah, coach and a mentor. Sometimes you got a coach. Hey, you could do this. I believe in you. I trust you. And then I got to throw my mentoring hat on because they say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever heard that before? How oh, do you sir. how do you I, get past I don't know? I'm so glad you brought this up because parents would ask me this when I used to I used to do a workshop for parents called Parenting with a Coaching Mindset. And that question came up almost every single session. And I uh, would say, and this is what I do with students, I would say the same thing to parents to say when they say, I don't know, say, that's a great place to start. Take your time. And then just let it sit. And it really blows a young person's mind that, because sometimes they really don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a sincere answer, but there's other times where they're trying to dismiss the question especially when it comes from one of their parents, right? So what should you do about your effing chemistry? I don't know. I mean, they don't even think. They just react. I don't know. 
you know, or the other one that was really great was, um, how was your day? You know, parent picks up the 13 year old at school. How was your day? Good. And then I'd say, all right, what was good? You know, you can ask that what was good. I don't know the, the normal stuff. All right, what's the normal stuff? You know, I'd say parents, like, you don't have to let your child off the hook with that. You know, you can say, look, is this just not a good time to talk about it? Because I would like an answer to my question. I am your parent. I want to know about you. I'm interested in you. I love you. Should we talk about it at dinner? You know, you want to tell me later? You know, so... And it, it never was that cut and dried. I mean, sometimes it's just good to back off from a teenager when they say that. It just depends. But um, I never let my clients get away with that. You know, fantastic, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Two things uh, that also might be useful uh, is in just reinforcing the importance of listening. The way that you flip back those questions were simply using the words of the of the person. You know, yes. good. Okay, well, what was good? So I really love that. That's a cool little coaching technique. And you can only do it if you are present rather than just, you know, how is your day as, as you're driving or you're, you're distracted or you're, you know, you're looking at your phone, you're not really interested. And the other thing that I loved uh, that somebody shared with us recently, could have been on the podcast, uh, but this is the best thing about how I get to interview all you beautiful people, uh, is uh, tell me about your day. So just by adding tell me, all of a sudden it's a whole different way of opening up the opportunity for them to share. As you said, if you, you know, yeah, if you get I the timing that. right. I would also say to parents is what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? Um, the other one that I would uh, say was ask a different question uh, when you pick them up, like instead of how was your day, how's your life going? That's a much bigger, there are so many more ways to respond to that question than how was your day, right? Yeah, um, what's what sparked your curiosity outside of school today? Yeah. yeah, what was what was your favorite class? Or, you know, which one of your professors knocked it out of the park today? And why? <laughs> yeah. who, who was phoning it in? <laughs> Fantastic. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by The Samson Agency, a boutique talent agency managing entertainers, artists, and athletes. You can learn more at thesamsonagency.com. And if you're interested in becoming a coach, check out opendoorcoachingusa.com for all our latest courses in Leader as Coach and our High Performance Workplace Coaching Certification. Now let's get back to the show. All right. I want to round off this interview talking about conflict management. What does that mean to you? And maybe one coaching tool that you could share for our listeners. Oh yeah, I'd love that. Okay, so one of the the um, responsibilities that I perform here as a resident director is that I train BRAs and we have a fall training when they, they come a week before all the students come and we do leadership development, lots of nuts and bolts about the job but also um, a lot of, you know, I, I teach them basic coaching skills, like what's a powerful question? Uh, what does it look like to really be listening? How do you not tell someone what to do, but trust that, you know, like that, like basic, basic coaching skills. But we also do um, 
mediation, a mediation training or a conflict management training, because inevitably what happens when the residents move in, there's conflicts. I mean, in the first year residence halls here at Western, you know, the rooms are 20 feet by 15 feet. You know, anywhere else off campus, you know, that's a one bedroom. That's for one person. Well, there's two 18-year-olds living there, all right? So conflicts arise. And so we have a protocol where um, if a student requests a room change, like if they email me, they request a room change. I say, look, you know, the first step is to have a mediation with your RA and then put some things in place. And if that doesn't work, you have a mediation with me. And if that doesn't work, then we can talk about a room change. It's not a guaranteed room change. The, so basically the way the conversation goes is, okay, let's say it's, you know, Susie and Megan. So, all right, Susie, um, I'm going to write down the things that aren't working for you or that you want to change. And Megan, I don't want you to say anything. As much as you'd like to, don't say anything. So Susie talks, I write down all her stuff, and then Megan gets to do that as well. And then we say, okay, now we've got to come up with a new set of agreements based on what you don't like and you don't like, what's the new set of agreements? So we write those things down, and maybe it's three things. And I say to them, okay, that was the easy part. Because if anybody can do that, or maybe you've even done that before you got to me, Anybody can do that. Now what we're going to talk about is how you call each other in. We call it call each other calling in instead of calling out. Calling out is public, right? Like we're going to call out police brutality. We're going to, you know, raise the consciousness of the world. But this is more like how do you gracefully and respectfully call each other in when you don't fulfill the agreement, when you don't break the agreement? And I tell them, look. The bad news is you're going to break these agreements, but the good news is, is that that's okay. Both of you are going to break these agreements. None of us ever keeps 100% of our agreements 100% of the time. So just expect it. Don't be surprised when your roommate doesn't take the trash out on Friday. It's going to happen eventually. But so, so Susie, you get to tell Megan now how to gracefully and respectfully call you in when you don't um, when you're when you're too loud talking on the phone to your boyfriend. Okay. Um, and think of things like the time of day, right? It, should Megan come to you first thing in the morning when you wake up or you just come back from the shower? Should she do it uh, right before you go to bed? Is it, should you ask her to go have lunch or go have a coffee? You know, like, how should this go? And so we get on the table. So they both get to do that. Here's how not to call me in. This is just going to set me off. But here's how you call me in. Um, and just so you know, this is a new protocol that I came up with. And I tried it out with these two boys that were, one was just adamant that he was over it. He couldn't stand his roommate anymore. And these were friends from middle school who went up through, you know, high school and roomed together. We're on the same athletic team here at Western. And, and it worked. And I said, okay, I'm going to write all this up. I'm going to send an email to both of you. And then when should I check in? 
Okay, check in in a week. So I would check in every week. Okay, how's it going? You know, and I haven't heard a peep from either one of them. So that is um, the mediation training that we're going to incorporate. And again, the key is it's the how do you gracefully and respectfully call each other in when you don't fulfill the agreement? That's that's the key piece. Mm. Calling in. Oh, that's a gold nugget. Good one. Good one, mate. Love it. All right. Let's finish uh, in three words or less. What do you think makes a great leader? Can I do four words? <laughs> it's declaring oneself a leader. I, I I think there's a paradigm out there that we think that one has to have certain talents or abilities or a level of education to be considered a leader. In other words, you know, people uh, determine that you're a leader. Like leader comes from something external or someone says, hey, you're a leader. And in my view, a person can just decide, I am going to make this part of my identity. I haven't been a leader. I haven't felt like a leader, but I'm, I am now a leader. I'm declaring myself a leader. Then the next question is, okay, what do leaders do? How do leaders be? What's an area of your life where you could apply your leadership? Well, I am declaring myself as a leader of the coaching podcast <laughs> with uh, with trust and all the wonderful things that came up in this episode around creating meaningful and satisfying relationships through to just your wonderful insights and parenting tips. I've had a ball interviewing you. I hope our listeners got as much out of it as what I did. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Emma. It's been a pleasure. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Coaching Podcast, please share it with a fellow coach. And thanks for listening.